Historically, the utility actually has very little insight into what's happening out of the edge of the grid. We are enabling the nerve endings that allows the utility to react much more quickly and more effectively to grid events and also to plan effectively for the future. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dallin-Hauer. Today we are talking about the growing role of smart meters and how they're making many more of us both utility vendors as well as customers. Almost every electric meter is called a smart meter these days. It's confusing for many of us because we don't always understand what makes them smart. My guest says the first generation of these devices gave utilities two-way communication. The utility could interact with our homes rather than us supply information only to them. But the emergence of rooftop solar and battery storage at homes has expanded the jobs smart meters do for utilities. Today, many utilities offer net metering. You get paid for your surplus energy your solar panels make. The problem is that most of these smart meters only report the net surplus or draw at your home. What if a meter could break out how much solar energy is created and how much demand the home is drawing? That kind of information could make it much easier to understand and ultimately predict how much rooftop solar can be created across millions of homes on a system. My guest believes they can provide that information. They've also added a feature that they believe makes it much easier to connect rooftop solar to your home and ultimately the grid. This week, I was reproached for the first time about installing rooftop solar at our home here in Charlotte. I wish I could tell you we were moving forward, but it didn't make sense. The overall cost of the panels was about $35,000. Predicted savings over 30 years was only $24,000. I know there are incentives and rebates and home value considerations, but it just didn't make sense to pull the trigger at the time. My guest says I need to shop around some more, and I'll take his advice. But by making solar connections more like an appliance, as he puts it, it's sure to make more folks like me go solar, ultimately turning my utility into a customer for my energy. My guest today is Whit Fulton, CEO of Connector, a smart meter technology developer based just outside of Washington, D.C. Connector started in 2011. Their biggest product is a collar that fits onto the electric meter socket and can easily connect solar energy to your home. The DER in their name refers to distributed energy resources like rooftop solar. One of the things we talk about is how to make all these little solar farms easier to manage for utilities. Whit also shares his feelings that the money you make from utilities should change depending on the time of day, complexity he believes they can address. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Whit Fulton. We're here with Whit Fulton, CEO of Connector. And Whit, I feel like all electric meters these days are called smart meters, right? So what really makes a meter a smart meter? That's a great question, Jay. Smart is sort of in the eye of the beholder. Once upon a time, meters used to be this little electromechanical ring that spun around. Then people realized that, oh, hey, it's a great place. I can put a little computer on the side of the building and I can do a lot more with that space, that meter socket. I can figure out what's going on down the customer residence. I can figure out 
out. If the power is out, I can restore it remotely. I can measure power coming back to the grid. There's a bunch of things you can do with a smart meter that you can't do with an old-fashioned electrical mechanical meter. And most importantly, is really two-way communications. It really provides this node of capability that the utility can use to offer services and get better grid value out of a distributed network. When you think about a smart meter, not so much the smart meter itself, but think about the meter socket that it's stuck into. It's sort of this unsung hero. In a lot of other places in the world, meters are these hardwired devices that you just kind of tie in and it requires a guy to do a bunch of wiring. And if you want to change it, you got to do a bunch of wiring itself. What we did in the United States, we kind of gave ourselves a gift by coming up with this plug and socket model. If you pull that meter on the side of your house off behind it, there's really just four prongs. And it's a standardized universal interface. So you have a product you call a collar that's installed at the electric meter. So what does it do? And how does that interact with what I guess we'd consider a traditional smart meter? What we do in a nutshell with our product, which is really a formal name, is a meter collar adapter. You've got this meter socket and it's got this outlet in it. And right now we stick a meter in it. If you pull that meter off and you put our collar on and you put the meter back in front of it, there's a bunch of magic we create there. We've got this little plug on the top of our collar that allows you to just plug solar in. Normally, if you're going to put solar on your house, you got to do a bunch of wiring to where the service panel is. Sometimes it's the basement. Sometimes it's weird wiring issues. You can just crush the cost of interconnecting because you can just plug it in. It's all on the outside of the house. It's all universal. It's super easy. We're basically making it like an appliance. The other piece of the puzzle here, once those DERs are out there and connected to the grid, typically they just dispatch when the sun shines or when the customer needs to charge their EV. There's really no interactivity on the data level between what those DERs do and what the grid needs. We really make those DERs grid friendly. It allows the grid operator to communicate with the homeowner's DERs to make them not only really easy to connect, but also really easy to adopt for grid support and growth. Yeah. And I'm curious about how you typically connect solar to the home. I always thought that it went in through the breaker box somehow. That is exactly right. It does go through the breaker box. The challenges around that is, in fact, in many cases, as much as one in five, you actually have to rip out that whole breaker box because there just isn't enough spaces in it or enough ampacity to handle it. What we do with our product is we add a circuit breaker inside our collar that doesn't require having to go to the breaker box or ripping that breaker box out and replacing it. Okay, so if I'm a homeowner, does the utility approach me about installing one of these? Yeah, so we work closely with utilities to basically sit between the meter socket and the meter. There are utility programs built around our product where the utility says, hey, we've got this great meter collar adapter, it's gonna save you a ton of money on going solar. And in exchange for that, we're gonna provide it to you for free. In exchange for that, we're gonna get some data and potentially some activity with your system such that anyone who wants to can put solar on their home and they can make it really cheap and easy and the utility gets visibility into that production. Beyond that, the solar installer population, we get all kinds of demand for solar installers saying, hey, I'm spending so much money and losing so many jobs because I need to rip out these service panels. And on top of that, 
that oftentimes the utility will need to play a role in that to approve and manage a service panel upgrade. So it slows down the sales process like six months or more. They act as almost like our go-to-market army because they get a lot of the benefit out of the low-hanging fruit application of connectivity. And they talk to utilities, say, utilities, we need this. You guys need to offer this. So we work in partnership with them as well. You know, Whit, I would think that all of this was available with a smart meter. What was the innovation here that wasn't already on the market? We get that question a lot. A smart meter is really just a circuit that jumps from the grid to the home. And all it's doing is passing the power through measuring it. There's no physical connectivity that a smart meter offers in its own right. We're adding physical connectivity where you can plug it in safely and be totally easy for the customer. And then on top of that, we can measure the output from the solar, not just the amount of power that went back to the grid. And that gives them the ability to forecast and manage the impacts of those greater proliferation that they see of PV over time. Yeah, that's exciting to be able to have the utility essentially rely on you <laughs> to generate power. One of the things I've talked about in the past, especially with these commercial solar farms, is I think they've gotten a lot better being able to predict how much energy they can expect to get out of them. But rooftop solar is essentially throwing a dart at a board, right? That's exactly right. I mean, they can you pretty good estimations of what's going to happen. But it's a kind of a two-vector analysis. So there's both the consumption, there's the time of day use, there's when the solar produces, when it doesn't, when it's cloudy. At the individual home level, it's not really a big deal. But when you put 50, 100 million homes together, it becomes very valuable to have that high-resolution data. Sure. And you mentioned being able to plug the energy coming in from the solar panels into your collar. How do batteries factor into that? One of the challenges around energy storage, to install it in someone's house, it still requires a lot of additional wiring. The second layer of challenge is there aren't a lot of economic transaction models that allow customers to take advantage of the energy storage for anything more than when the power goes out. Because right now, if the grid goes down and you just have solar in your house, because of the rules and the safety regulations around solar potentially exporting backfeeding to the grid, it has to shut off. And that was a question I had for you. There's a little bit of confusion about how independent you really are. What you're saying is, is that if you have rooftop solar and the power goes out, you can't use your power. But if you had a battery, you would. Right? Exactly. There's something called a transfer switch or an isolation switch, which basically turns your home into an island from the grid. The challenges around that, one is the cost to do all that wiring. We are working now on a product line that we call whole house disconnect. Our collar will create that little islanding system. That's a huge value add that we're bringing to the market in the very near future. Right. And so what do you think it will take for more widespread adoption of things like rooftop solar? I mean, look, my electric bill, maybe in the worst months, is maybe about $150. (laughs) Do we need more expensive electricity (laughs) to push people along? In those markets where electricity is a lot more expensive, you see a lot more adoption. There's two more elements we really need to think about. One is value. This has been a driver of the industry for so long. It's a net energy metering. When you send power back to the grid from your solar PV system, when you don't use that in your house, you get paid exactly the same amount. It's been an amazing vehicle for getting more people to use solar. It really hides what the real value is of that solar, of the DER during the course of the day. What we need is like time of use rates. The value that solar can provide to the grid is much higher during peak times during the day. You should be able to be compensated for that value you could provide. The other piece of it is ease. To get solar 
or DER in your house, it's this giant home remodeling project. What we need to do is make it more like an appliance. What we'd like to do is to have every home in a certain utility service territory, our product sitting in its meter socket. So it would have a marketing component, a familiarity component, and it would have an overcoming some of this transaction fear that customers have about this being a major complicated thing they know nothing about. It's like I plug it in just the way I plug in any other appliance. Those two things, transaction value and ease of adoption, are as important as the energy price you face. You mentioned the utilities get a lot of information out about, especially if you have rooftop solar. What other data would be helpful for them? And how does all this extra data really help utilities and their customers? That's a really good question. This comes up quite frequently around like, what is the value of a smart meter on its own? Utilities spend a lot of money putting smart meters out there. And they historically have had a lot of challenges in messaging how the value of that high resolution data on when the customer is using energy, how it rises and falls over the course of the day, working on outage management, things like that, how that really enables and unlocks better customer service around renewables and clean energy adoption. What that data does in general, whether it's from us or from information from a smart meter, is it gives the utility the potential to do really high resolution visualization and forecasting of what the power on each individual feeder line or distribution level is going to look like. They can understand with much better granularity where they need to focus on line upgrades, where they need to focus on potential real-time operations to reconfigure the systems. Historically, the utility actually has very little insight into what's happening out of the edge of the grid. There just isn't much data there. And most people think, oh, obviously, we're in the technology age. They have visibility and all this stuff. They don't. We are enabling the nerve endings that allows a utility to react much more quickly and more effectively to grid events and also to plan effectively for the future. One of the guests I spoke to is a company called Satic, and they had a product that is installed near the breaker box that can correct harmonics and distortion from the electrical signal. He claims that that's happening quite a bit now with a lot of power coming from DC sources that needs to be inverted, like rooftop solar panels. Are you seeing that as an issue? We work with utilities quite closely. I'm going to say the answer is yes. Increasingly, we're seeing a world in which a kilowatt hour isn't just a kilowatt hour. The two big other pieces of the puzzle are first or what's called power quality. Power factor, how much of the energy you're getting is actually usable, and also the distortions there can actually have impacts on appliances inside the house. So there's there's actually high value in having high quality power. And also, the closer you are to having high quality, very minimal harmonic power at the grid itself, the longer grid equipment lasts as well. There is a real value in products that help maintain that kind of stability for the grid and for power quality. What Connector does is we actually have measurement of a lot of that data and we can allow the utility to manage the interactivity of the DR resources in such a way they become grid supporting for power quality. You can use those resources in real time to allow them to address power quality issues. There's the power quality piece and then there's the emissions footprint associated with that kilowatt hour. All those elements really add up to greater penetrations of DR being used to overcome power quality issues and also to reduce the emissions footprint from that power. 
There's been a lot of discussion about the distributed grid. It would seem that your product, especially this collar, would help sort out a lot of the confusion, I guess, out there with the distributed grid because there's just a huge proliferation of distributed energy resources out there, especially when you're adding all this rooftop solar. Almost every household is an electric generator at this point. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways people are attacking this problem. One of them is you have this model where people are going out and selling solar left, right, and center. And some companies distribute all these resources out there and they turn around to the utility and say, hey, utility, we have access to all this stuff. Can we form a transaction model where you can pay us to leverage those resources for grid services? So we've overcome the challenge of getting the resources out there. Now, how do we overcome the challenge of making those resources valuable for the grid? One of the inherent challenges of that model is you've got a wide variety of different inverter brands out there and technical specifications and things like that, that a utility back office or a grid operator will need to be able to interface with. What we're trying to do with our product is take all that complexity off of the board. In our vision, the second you plug a solar PV system or an energy storage system, we're not just vehicle even into our product, you're also making a data handshake and basically signing it up for a dispatch tariff where the utility can push a button. You, Joe, customer get paid at the end of the month for any value your system created in addition to the kilowatt hours it generated. And there's no more back office weirdness as far as integration with many, many different systems goes. Yeah. And look, I started hearing about smart meters probably about 15 years ago, let's say. And you started your company a little over a decade ago. So what's changed? changed in that time? <laughs> I'm kind of leading this question. I already know what the answers are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I touched on it a little bit before. It's open in still mode and thunder here, but obviously the technology footprints come a long way. Smart meters 1.0, really what they did is they did net metering or they did interval metering. They had two-way communications and they really had outage management. So if the power went down, you know a customer's power is out. That's pretty much all they did. What's happening now is the whole world of DERs, there's IoT in general, there's demand response programs, there's a lot of higher speed, lower latency communications you couldn't do before. When mashed up with the plummeting cost of the underlying technology for solar and electric vehicles and things like that, creates an opportunity to put together the communications networks that are secure and easily accessible with those grid edge devices to create a much more sophisticated model for allowing those devices to work interactively with the grid because the communications are faster and cheaper now and the technology out there is better responding to it. And then finally, I think we can all agree the next 10 years are going to be a lot more transactional between customers and utilities. How do you see that playing out and how do you see Connector playing a role in that? That's a super interesting visualization exercise. I'm sure the same question you get from investors too. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. One of the reasons I got into this space is because once upon a time I was doing power market forecasting and analysis for a different company and was recognizing that there's no way you could build a new coal plant for the next like 30 years. The footprint, the emissions footprint was too great. Nuclear is going to be too expensive for a long time. What you're left with was like natural gas and renewables. Renewables are really kind of where it's at because they can be central station, like big, huge solar farms, or they can be tons of things distributed throughout the grid. You're going to see lots and lots and lots more of these DERs coming down the pike. From our perspective, the more that we can make the value of distributed renewables, more you can make the model work, the better off we are for efficiency, for more efficient 
efficient grids operations because you're not losing tons of power. The challenges we need to overcome there are first got to make a plug and play. We need to get to a point where these DERs can be compensated for the value they actually provide, not just netting back kilowatt hours. And we see ourselves playing a key role in that transition as well. So that's where we see ourselves going. We got to make it all plug and play automatic and easy for everybody. Very good. And I assume at some point you're going to want to expand into the commercial and industrial space, right? We, yeah, that's a lot. Um, the industrial is a little trickier. More likely than not, the way that we'd be expanding into those spaces would really be around the plug and play transaction model. You'd plug a version of our device into a system there and we become sort of the transaction enabler. We wouldn't become the physical connection enabler because that you're talking many more amps and volts than we're capable of supporting. But we can provide the utility grid operator with the same basic dispatch interface via a data connection out of those systems. If we can provide a unified dispatch system that can come from the same back office system that could handle residential, which is what we do with a caller, and then industrial and sort of commercial with what we do with a little plug-in box, we're sort of covering all the bases for a grid operator. We had a minute finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas. Great bridge resource, not as clean as advertised. Crude oil. Amazingly power dense and easy to use. The more we can do to get electricity to be consumed and usable the same way that we use crude oil and gas, the better off we're going to be. It, because it's a huge hurdle rate, but it's something we should be shooting for. Nuclear. Potentially absolutely essential in managing the transition, but super expensive and no one's figured out the waste storage issue yet. Coal, and I'll also caveat with carbon capture. Pretty much done. Carbon capture, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> not convinced yet. Wind. Amazingly powerful and well-mature technology. Personal preference, the more small-scale, more close to consumption, so we don't have to build giant transmission lines to get to that wind and disrupt pristine environments. But still, way, way, way better than any fossil fuel. Solar. Probably the default source of energy for the future. So long as we get energy storage in there to help balance it out and manage that application, it's just so cheap. It's the future. Biofuels. Really interesting things happening there. Love seeing all the, the variety of things you can do with biofuels. Very bullish on their future applications in the market. Hydroelectric. This is the granddaddy of energy storage. Still has an amazingly valuable role to play. We're built already. Question marks around environmental footprint. If you want to build more of it, if we see lithium ion and other energy storage technologies coming out of cost, questionable as to its competitiveness for new build. Geothermal. Kind of same as hydroelectric, deep high central station geothermal, a little harder to make work in the current environment. Flip side of that is smaller scale heating and cooling geothermal, I think is awesome. And I'd love to see that continue to take off. Energy storage. Holy grail. That's kind of cliche, but we make it work. We can solve the supply chain, the recycling, the lithium, the, the rare materials issues around getting it off the ground. It's basically going to be what makes everything work. Electric vehicles. It's the energy storage you move around a lot. Absolutely the future, but need to be as mapped as quickly and effectively as possible to the use case for consumers that they're comfortable with in order for to take the market share we need to get to post-carbon. Energy efficiency. Highest potential payback value, but toughest sale part of the clean energy environment. I worked in energy efficiency for a while, and the more you can make it invisible, 
and painless to adopt for customers, the better off you're going to be. And then finally, Fusion Power. The last game changer. If you really actually get Fusion at a cost-effective point, everything else becomes redundant. But so valuable to work on. Would love to see a breakthrough there. Even if it puts me out of a job, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Whit Fulton, Connector. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Jay. It's been a lot of fun. That was Whit Fulton, CEO of Connector, a smart meter technology developer based just out of Washington, D.C. I want to thank Sam Boykin for setting this up and Whit for his time. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 113 be sure to join us next week when we discuss how to make refrigeration much more energy efficient until then i'm jay downhower we'll see you next time